0: We're so glad you're here tonight. If you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the book of John, chapter 21, as we conclude our series in this book. Book of John chapter 21, and we'll begin reading with verse 15. Uh, I I thought everything would fall apart next Sunday. (laughs) It started already. I missed that on the bingo. I wanna thank uh, Mark for inviting Kathy to play. I love the violin, and so he said he was gonna invite her. I, I, just, I think it's very relaxing, I just, I just love the violin, so thank you, Mark, and thank you, Kathy, that's beautiful. And by the way, uh, when Mark retires, he loves the bagpipes. And just, just keep that in mind. And the, little, and the bagpipes will play Little Drummer Boy, and it'll just be a perfect, perfect night for him. Book of John, chapter 21, as we conclude this series and this book, John is writing for one purpose. He tells us the purpose. He says the purpose is for you to believe. I'm writing to you that you will believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And his whole book is about that. Most of the book is about the last week of Jesus. The first part, just a short part, it's talking about his ministry. And then after that, the, most of the book is about the last week of Jesus as he is headed to the cross, as he is headed to, into the tomb, and now he has been resurrected. And so we pick up the story. Jesus has been crucified. He's been crucified for our sins. Remember the story that Peter has denied Jesus three times. Peter said, Lord, I will never deny you. And Jesus said, well, before the end of the night, you're going to deny me three times. And that's what happened. Three times he denied him. And so, with that in mind, you're going to understand the story a little bit better. And so, Jesus has has, uh, been resurrected. He's already come to the disciples. Last week, we saw where he's gathering the disciples together for a breakfast. And now, we pick up the story. This is right after the breakfast in John chapter 21, verse 15. So, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple who would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose... That even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Pray with me. Father, tonight as we look into your word, and Father, as we see this story, let us see ourselves in it. Because Father, every one of us has been in Peter's place. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you have heard the story already. It happened on New Year's Day, 1929, during the Rose Bowl. University of California was playing Georgia Tech. A man named Roy Regals, who played for California, recovered a fumble. But somehow he became confused and started running the wrong way. In fact, he was running 65 yards in the wrong direction. One of his own teammates, Benny Loam, had to out- race him to tell him to stop and so he stopped and he didn't score but the next play on a block punt the other team scored that was the first half and at halftime everyone was wondering what would the po- coach do the coach uh, neil price what would he do to Ro- roy regelson and so they went into the locker room all the players were dejected about what had happened in the first half but roy was in the corner a towel over his head and he couldn't stop crying Coach Price was telling the players what to do in the second half. And then right before the second half started, he said, men, the same team that played the first half will start the second. And they all got up and left, except Roy Riggles. He wouldn't get up. The tile's still over his head. He's still crying. And the coach said, did you not hear me? Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team in the first half will start the second half. And Roy says, coach, I can't do it. I can't do it. I ruined you. I ruined the University of California. I ruined me. I cannot go out there to face that crowd again to save my life. Coach Price came and sat beside Roy and put his arm around his shoulder and said, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half half over. They say that Regal played a different level that second half. They'd never seen such determination ever. In fact, they say that the rest of the year, he played like a different player. In fact, the rest of his life changed his life. He did everything with passion because of someone taking the time to restore him. Someone taking the time to sit beside him, put their arm around him, and say, it's okay, it's only half over. In our text tonight, we see where Peter, he's messed up. Three times he has denied Jesus. After saying he would never deny Jesus, three times he denied Jesus. While Jesus was being tortured, Peter was denying him. And so now we come to this passage, and the question is, what would happen to Peter now? I mean, Jesus has appeared to the disciples. They know he is risen. But what's going to happen to Peter and in our text, we see the story unfolding. And really, the two things are taking place. One is wholly on, on Peter, and the other is on Jesus. I mean, Peter was in charge of his failure. He has to admit, I've messed up, i failed. But Jesus took charge of restoring him. Please understand this evening as we look at this text. Failure is an event, not a destination. Failure is is an event. It's not a destination, and it's not your destiny. We all mess up. Every one of us, sooner or later, we're going to fail over and over and over again. Looking at the life of Peter proves it. The question is, what are you gonna do when you mess up? What are you gonna do when you blow it? What are you gonna do when you crash? What are you gonna do when you lose it? That is the story that we need to ask. What are we going to do the second half? So please understand, failure failure doesn't mean you've blown everything. It means, hey, there's some hard lessons you've just learned. Failure doesn't mean that you're a permanent loser. It means that you're not as smart as you thought you were. Failure doesn't mean that you should give up. It means that the Lord needs to show you something. Failure doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It means that God has a better plan for you. And so when we fail, whatever it may be, maybe because of embarrassment or anger or fear or shame or despair, whatever, whenever we fail. And the question is, is there any hope? I want you to remember Peter. If you ever get to that point in your life and you start wondering, well, I wonder if God can forgive me. I wonder if I can forgive myself because that's the hardest part, isn't it? Peter never forgot what happened when he denied Christ. According to tradition, they say that every time Peter heard the rooster crow, he would start crying because he remembered what he did. According to tradition, that Peter would, would wake up at, at the night, every night and pray the hour he denied the Lord. Not, not as punishment, but to remind himself not to do it again. Now, what's interesting to me in this, this passage, I don't know if you noticed it, Peter's not talking. Did you notice that? I mean, the whole book, Peter's talking. He can't stop talking. And yet we come to this part, and Peter's not speaking. I mean, Peter was never uh, a disciple lacking for words. He said nothing. I mean, when, when John said, it is the Lord, what does he do? He swims to the Lord, but he doesn't say anything. Not, it's not recorded at all. Ever wondered why? Some scholars have suggested that he's ashamed of his denial of the Lord. I mean, the other apostles, the other disciples knew that he betrayed the Lord. Maybe he's embarrassed. Some scholars believe that Peter is wondering, where where am I in the relationship to Christ? Will Christ still have me? Will Christ still use me? Some scholars believe because Jesus has already appeared to Peter. We know that in Luke chapter 24, verse 34, it said that Jesus appeared to Peter. We have no indication of what was stated at that meeting. And some suggested that Peter understood his place now. Whatever the case, you would have expected Peter to be talking. And so they finished the breakfast, and we pick up the story. And notice immediately in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Did you notice something? He doesn't call him Peter. He doesn't call him Cephas. Cephas. That was the name Jesus gave him earlier. He said, you're going to be like a rock, Peter. I'm changing your name. And now he calls him Simon. That was the original name. Was this an indication that Jesus didn't think he was a strong leader anymore? We don't know. But it got his attention. So how does Jesus restore this fallen disciples? Well, let's look at it. Well, first of all, Jesus sent for him. Jesus sent for him. Now we didn't read this passage, but when we did our study through the book of Mark, we looked at this passage. In Mark chapter 16, verse 7, when the women arrived at the tomb, Jesus said, if you remember, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. In other words, I want you to go tell the disciples I'm alive, but you better be sure you tell Peter. Why? Because there's forgiveness. I mean, Peter may have failed in the upper room, but Jesus sent for him. I mean, remember in the upper room, remember what Peter said? Peter said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And then later on, he was bragging about his courage. He said, look, if all these other guys desert you, hey, Lord, I will never desert you. But he failed, and Jesus sent for him. Peter may have failed in the garden when he used the sword, but Jesus sent for him. They're in the garden praying, and the the soldiers and the mob comes to get Jesus. And remember what happened? Peter takes a sword, and he cuts off a man's ear because he was trying to cut off his head, okay? He He ended it with violence, and Jesus said, put it away. He messed up in the garden, but Jesus sent for him. Peter may have failed in the courtyard, but Jesus sent for him. Three times in the courtyard, they came and said, aren't you one of his disciples? And three times he said, no. Three times he said, I don't know who you're talking about. Realizing what he had done after the third time when he heard the rooster crow, he went out and he wept. He may have failed him in the courtyard, but Jesus still sent for him. Do you realize what that means? He does not write off Peter as a permanent failure. Peter messed up. But Jesus still sent for him. Jesus doesn't cast him off. Jesus still has plans for Peter. And sometimes we have this idea well, we've messed up, so God, you can't use me anymore. Then look at Peter. We all mess up, we all fail. And Jesus still calls us, and Jesus still uses us. He sent for him. Secondly, Jesus challenged him. He challenged him. We we looked at this last week or last time, a couple of weeks ago, that evening they were fishing and and they didn't catch any fish all night. And then Jesus appears on the shore. He said, cast your net on the other side. And they do that. Although they, they failed all night, they cast their net on the other side and they catch 153 fish. And they are amazed. But I want to remind you that all night they were all a failure. These professional fishermen didn't catch anything. And Jesus used their failure to turn them into a success. And when John said, it is the Lord, Peter realized, oh, I should have realized this because this is how he called me in the first place. The first time Jesus called me, I was on a boat. The first time Jesus called me, he told me to put my net on the other side. I should have realized. John got it and Peter got it. We will always be challenged. Many times the Lord will allow us to fail in our own strength so that we may lean more upon him in the future. So never be afraid when Jesus challenges us. Third, Jesus reinstated him. There's a conversation here with Peter and and Jesus. And, And really, Jesus sets this up perfectly. Again, a couple of weeks we looked at it. Back in verse 9, it says that he had a charcoal fire. The only time that word charcoal is used in the book of John is one other place, and that's when Peter was warming himself by the charcoal fire when he was denying Jesus. And he's setting him up. Here is Peter. He's, he's smelling that charcoal fire, and he's remembering that night he denied Christ. That one fire, he said, I don't know him. And now Jesus is going to give him another fire to say, Lord, I love you. By one fire, he denied Christ, but by another fire, he's going to be restored by Christ. And so we have this incredible exchange, and this is one of the few times, listen, one of the few times you need some background knowledge of the Greek language. You really don't need to know a lot of Greek to understand the Bible because God reveals things, but this is one of the few passages of Scripture that Jesus is going to change the words in the Greek language, but in the English language, it stays the same most scholars, about 99% of all scholars say the word changes are important. Now, again, there's some that disagree. One of my favorite scholars disagrees. He he says no, the word change means nothing. The only time I'll ever disagree with him, I agree with the others. I think the words are very important because what Jesus is trying to get Peter to understand is something is changing here. So I want you to look at this and I'll try to explain the different word uses. It begins when Jesus says to him in verse 15, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Okay, let's stop here. What are these? What, I mean, what does he mean, do you love me more than these? Does he mean, hey, hey, Simon, do you love me more than these, the disciples? Do you love me more than the disciples? Do you love the disciples more or do you love me? Is he talking about the fish? Remember there were fish on the ground, 153? Is Jesus saying, Simon, do you love me more than these these fish you caught? Is he saying, do you love me more than these? Talk about the fishing element. In other words, his old profession. Do you love me more than your old profession? Or is Jesus saying, Simon, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Now, my opinion is that's the question. Remember, earlier, Peter had boasted about his superior love for Christ. He he said he loved Christ more than the other disciples. And so he's going to ask three questions. The first question, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. First question, Jesus uses the word love, it's the word agapeo. It's the word agape love. It's God's love, perfect love. Peter, do you love me with God kind of love? Peter answers with a different word for love. Yes, Lord, I love you. Phileo. It it, it means a friend's love. So in other words, here's here's the question. Peter, do you love me with a God type of love, a perfect love? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, I love you like a friend. And Jesus says, tend my lambs. Now, that word tend literally means to feed. It's in the present tense. It means to continue to do this over and over. Uh, The lamb, it it means small ones. Jesus is saying to, to Peter, okay, you need to take care of the young in the faith. Peter, you need to take care of those who are young in the faith. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you, now he doesn't say these this time. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. Second time, he says, Do you love me? Same word Jesus used again, agape love, God's love. Simon, do you love me with agape love? God's love, perfect love? And Peter answered, Yes, Lord, I, I, I love you. He, Keeps his word. He said, I love you like a friend. And Jesus says to him, shepherd my sheep. That, that word is feed, but it really is the word shepherd. Jesus says to Peter, okay, I want you to shepherd. I want you to take responsibility for my sheep. I want you to take responsibility for my people. That word, though, means small sheep. It doesn't mean a young sheep. It means a small sheep. So the first is Young. Lambs. This one is small sheep. A little bigger, more responsibility. But Peter, I want you to be their shepherd. I want you to take care of them. Next. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus changes the word here. It's the word that Peter has been using. It means a friend's love. Peter, do you love me? As a friend. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He changes the word. And Peter is grieved. It's almost as as if Peter said, oh, no, he's changed the word. And Jesus said, I want you to tend my sheep. That word for sheep means mature sheep. See the progression? The first time he said, take care of the lambs, the young believers. Next time, take care of the young. Now would you take care of the mature sheep? Peter, I am restoring you, but I want you to understand your need to develop your giftedness. And each time Jesus said it, he always said, my sheep, my lamb. Peter, they're not yours. They're not your responsibility of your flock. It's your responsibility to take care of my flock. That's the difference. And Peter is so grieved because Jesus used the same word to describe what, what, what Peter said, but it's the same word, that word grieve. John uses it one other time, John chapter 16, verse 21, when he's talking about childbirth. It's the pain of childbirth. Peter is hurting. He's struggling when he hears Jesus use the word that he's been using. And Peter says, Lord, you know, you know I love you. In fact, he says it very strongly. He says, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And again, Ch- Peter uses two different words for know there. There are two words in the Greek language for know. One means you know something by acquired knowledge. In other words, you read or learn it. The other, you learn by experience. There's a difference. Some you can read. Some, sometimes you, you need the experience. Um, for example, you can read all you want to about how to ride a horse. But till you ride a horse, you don't know anything about riding horses. I thought I knew how to ride a horse. Then in Mississippi, one day they asked me if I want to ride their horse. Yeah, I've I've ridden, you know, ponies. And so I'm riding this man's horse. But this horse had a trick. He would whistle, and the horse would take a full gallop to the corral. That's what I said. Above the corral, there was a little sign that had the name of this you know, he, of his ranch. It wasn't a ranch; it was a little farm, but he had the name of it. This horse is going full gallop. In my world, it's going full gallop, but it's going fast. And I see the sign. Now, what you're supposed to do is duck. Okay, most people know this. That's experiential knowledge. To duck. I didn't duck. I put my hands in front of me. And what happened is like the feeding of the 5,000. Because I hit that, the horse kept going, I held onto the sign, my feet went up, and I landed. And word got out that I was a trick rider. I almost broke my arms, and Eileen said, Are you okay? Nope, I'm not okay. We need drugs right now. You can read all you want to, but sometimes you've got to learn things by experience. Some things, and so Peter uses two different words here. He's saying, Lord, you know, you know by experience, I love you. And Lord, you know because you acquired the knowledge. In other words, what Peter is saying, Lord, you know all things. You know all things by your experience. You know all things. And you know... You know, by acquire knowledge, by the experience. You see me day in and day out. Here's what Peter is saying. This is really amazing. What Peter is saying is, Lord, I don't know about me, but I know you know me. See the difference? Before Peter was arrogant. Before Peter said, I will never deny you. But now he's saying, Lord, I don't know anything about me, but you know me. Do I love you? You know if I love you. You know my heart. You know my mind. You know my actions. I trust you. Lord, I don't know anything. You know everything. I trust you to know that answer. Does it work? Oh, yes. Because Peter never denied Jesus again. And in a few days later from this, in the book of Acts, Peter's going to preach on the day of Pentecost, fully restored. And the Spirit of God is going to come mightily upon him, and a great revival is going to take place. Why? Because Peter got to the point where he says, I don't know anything, but I know Jesus. The old Peter is gone. A new man has been born. But we're not through yet. Because Jesus re-enlisted him. Look at verse 18. Peter says, Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he said this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he has spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Got to explain what's going on. Jesus said, Peter, when you were younger, you could go anywhere you wanted to. You you had the freedom to walk. But at the end of your life, you're not going to be able to walk. They're going to carry you somewhere with your arms outstretched, signifying the death of Peter. Peter, you're going to be crucified. According to tradition, Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner of his Lord. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, let me tell you, you're going to glorify God and you're going to be crucified. Now, I find this fascinating that Jesus doesn't tell Peter all the things that's going to happen in the book of Acts. Jesus doesn't tell Peter all the little things that's going to take place. Jesus stresses something else here. He says, I want you to know you're going to finish. You're going to finish glorifying God. So what does Peter do? Well, that old Peter apparently is still there. Because Peter, verse 21, verse 20, Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? In other words, he sees John. That's who he's talking about. Peter sees John. So Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So Jesus has just told Peter, you're going to glorify God and you're going to be crucified for the glory of God. And Peter says, okay, but what about John? Now, is he concerned, concerned about John? Some people believe he's concerned about John. Some people think he's, tr- he's trying to compare himself to John. Don't know. But I love Jesus' answer. Verse 22, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Or let's just take some of those words out of it. This is what Jesus said. What is that to you? Who cares about other people? Peter, quit looking at other people. It's not about other people. It's about you. What are you going to do, Peter? What are you going to do? Jesus stresses individual responsibility. Jesus stresses personal accountability. What happened to other people is not your concern. What happened to other people is not your problem. What they do, what they leave undone, that does not excuse us. Quit looking at other people. Can I tell you something? That's what we need to hear today. Why is it we keep looking at other people? Well, they're getting away with this. They're getting away with that. Where is God for them? Listen, it makes no difference. You worry about God in your life. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, you focus on you. Let God be God. Let God decide. Because that's what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus continues. Jesus says in verse 22, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, Peter, it makes no difference what you think. It's up to me. You know, if I reward someone, don't worry about it. You follow me. I learned this lesson early in my ministry. I told the men during the men's breakfast. Early in my ministry, I would compare myself to other pastors. And one day, God revealed to me, quit looking at other people and focus on what God has given you. Greatest freedom I ever got. Didn't care about other pastors. In fact, I started praying for their success. Quit looking at other people. Follow Jesus. Early American preacher Jonathan Edwards wrote in his diary, resolve first that every man ought to obey Christ without hesitation or reservation. Resolve second, whether anybody else does it or not, I will, so help me God. The whole world can deny Jesus, but I won't. The whole world can turn their back on Jesus, but I won't. That's what he's saying. We don't follow other people. We follow Christ. Take your eyes off others and look to Christ. So what does Christ do with our failures? He forgives us. He redeems us. He says to Peter, all right, Peter, follow me. See, God is able to forget our past. And God is able to forgive us. You know the irony of this story? If you, if you look at the life of Peter, here's the irony. From the beginning to the end, Jesus believed more in Peter than Peter believed in himself. Over and over, Jesus had faith in Peter. See, the story, the hero of this story is not Peter. The hero of this story is Jesus. And that's why John 21 is in the Bible, so that all of us, because all of us will fail, all of us will mess up. The, this story is in here to remind us, when you fail, Jesus will pick you up. And he will empower you and strengthen you and use you. And then John says, verse 25, there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that will be written. Because the story is still being written. Every person in this room, you have a story. Every person in this room, Jesus is working in your life. If you are a believer here tonight, that's the story. If you're not a believer here tonight, that's the story Jesus is calling you. The story is still being written and will continue to be written until Christ returns. Would you stand by your heads? The story is very simple. And that is Jesus loves us and died for us and forgives us. And maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're watching online and you'd like to give your life to Christ by realizing, admitting that you're a sinner, saying, Lord, I can't save myself. And I know Jesus died for me. And you believe, you believe that Jesus did die for you on a cross 2,000 years ago. That he was buried and the third day arose. And that you confess that you choose to give everything you have to Jesus. Will you do that tonight? If you're watching online tonight, if you, if you would like to make this decision, if you would just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. But if you're here tonight, you make that decision public. As we begin singing, just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers. Or maybe tonight you're like Peter. You're thinking, God, I don't know if you can use me anymore. I messed up. That I encourage you where you are privately. Thank him that God has not given up on you. Thank him tonight. God, I'm going to be like Peter. I'm going to continue and follow you and try and strive, but I believe in you. Use me. Our Father, speak to us now with clarity that Father, Father will hear your voice, and Father, we will obey. We pray this, Father, in the most holy name of all, in the name of Jesus. Amen.